Hey, it's great to be with you. My name's Ethan, one of the pastors here. So glad you're here uh, with us today. Hey, listen, before I jump in, I just want to repeat one of the announcements you heard. Um, I had several people in our last series about how we can invest more deeply in God's kingdom. They kind of came to me with this real pragmatic question. They're like, yeah, we'd like to do that. That sounds great. We're a little inspired by that. But our finances are just out of control. We don't know what's coming in or going out or what we're using. We could use some help. Uh, and so if that's you, we got this great class. I hope you heard it advertised, this financial wisdom class. It starts Wednesday night, Tommy and Kay Greer, and they are brilliant and nice. In fact, Kay is both of those, and Tommy will be there as well, and um, so that is awesome. And so it's going to be a great class, and so uh, be there. If, if, that, if that could be helpful to you, we want you to jump in on that. That's this Wednesday night. All right, but now it's March. And we're jumping into a brand new series, and it's called The Good Life. Uh, We're asking this question, what do you think the good life looks like, and how do you get it? I mean, look it up there. That that might be it for you, right? That's pretty good, right? You got the the water and the umbrellas and the palm trees there, and the the guy in the little hat looks like he's either going to bring you a drink or take you out on a boat or something like that, and you got the lounge chairs I don't know what that little shiny gold thing is, but maybe that's important to your vision of the good life. I don't know, whatever that is. But I've noticed, I've been talking about this with people the last couple weeks about the good life, and everybody's got an idea. Everybody's got an idea of what the good life is and how you get there. Somebody said, the good life is leisure. And to get there, you've got to have a vacation house and a stocked up 401k. Or or the good life is adventure, and to get there, you need one of those camper vans with a surfboard and some climbing gear. Or or the good life is accomplishment, and so you need good grades and good degrees and a good job and a good promotion with a good paycheck. Or the good life is family, and so to get that, you're going to have to get a, a good marriage with some good kids who visit you every once in a while, and then some grandkids, and eventually you'll need a front porch and two rocking chairs. And if you've got all that, well, boy, you've got the good life. Or me, I've just realized, for me, the good life is peace. And all it requires, I mean, it requires so little. I just need the mountains and a creek and a cabin and a campfire and a place to sleep and something to eat and no cell phones and no Wi-Fi and absolutely nothing on my calendar or to-do list. I need friends who visit, but not too often, and family who's there when I want them to be to go for a hike or a swim, and it's not there when I just want to be left alone, and that's all I need. Like, if I just have that, I have got the good life. And maybe you've got a list like that. Maybe you know, if I could just get this, this would be the good life. But if you've got a list like that, and maybe you've had it for a while, you've already figured out what a lot of us know, is that the good life is elusive, right? It slips through your fingers. Because sometimes you get what you thought you needed. You get everything on your list, and, and the good life isn't there like you thought it would be. Jesus says you can gain the whole world and lose yourself, and, and that can happen. Or it can happen the other way, too. You don't get anything on your list. Like, like nothing you thought you needed for the good life, you get, and then you get to the end of the day, and you're like, I think that was the good life. Like, I could live that day three times in a row. That was it. We got it, and we got nothing on our list. Or you get the creek and the mountain and no cell signal and no calendar, but it's also 37 degrees and pouring rain. 
for the whole week. And that is not the good life. You, you figure out, don't you, that it's dangerous to base your idea of the good life on your circumstances. Because boy, circumstances are fickle, aren't they? They can change so fast. But then you're just left wondering, what is needed for the good life? And how can I be sure that I can find it? And they wondered that in Jesus' day too. And whenever you found somebody smart, it seems like eventually somebody would get around to asking them, what do I have to do to get the good life? Throughout this series, we'll be looking at the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to start kind of right in the middle of the Gospel, where a, a, a young man actually asked Jesus this question. Mark 10, verse 17, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he interrupted. All these I have kept since I was a boy. That's pretty impressive. Jesus looked at him and loved him. I need to pause right there for a second. We're going to go on and read what he says next, and it, it might be a little shocking. It might be a little disturbing to some of you. But whatever comes next, you've got to, got to make sure we notice what we, the sentence we just read. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Because whatever comes next, no matter how shocking, no matter how surprising, the motive for what you're about to hear is love. I think we sometimes get confused when God's Spirit challenges us or when God's Word challenges us. And we wonder, God, what are you doing? Is this because you're angry at me, God? Or because you're disappointed in me, God? Or because you're mad at me, God? Or because you've given up on me, God? But no, when you hear a word from God, the motive, what lies behind it, is that God has looked at you and loved you. Jesus looked at him and loved him, and then he said, One thing you lack. Go, sell everything you have, and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then you come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed. They said to each other, well, well, who then can be saved? If this guy can't get saved, who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, well, I mean, with man, <laughs> nobody. I mean, this is impossible. But not with God. With God, all things are possible. 
Then Peter spoke up, well, we have left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. What a fascinating and curious text. A fascinating conversation with the the rich, young, and moral young man. And then a fascinating conversation with the disciples. And it all starts with this question. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, there are two facets to this eternal life that the young man asks about. The first is its duration. What must I do to inherit a life that lasts forever? But the second is he's asking about a life that is eternal in quality. What must I do to inherit a life that is worth living that long? He's asking the good teacher about the good life. And in the conversation that follows, we learn two things about this young fella. We learn that he is moral, and we learn that he's rich. We learn he's moral because he says, I've kept all those laws. The one about no lying and honoring your parents. And Jesus doesn't argue with him. He he seems to assume that it's true. We learn that he's rich because... Mark tells us he had great wealth. Isn't that curious? This guy who does all the right stuff and owns all the right stuff is still looking for the good life? I mean, what more does he want, right? I mean, think about your own life. If you could just do all the right stuff and you owned all the right stuff, wouldn't that be a good enough life? But it's not. Turns out there's no amount of good stuff you can do or good stuff you can own that keeps you from asking the question, how do I get the good life? About 10 years ago, I was becoming friends with a guy, uh, you know, going to barbecues and birthday parties at each other's houses, that kind of thing. He was not yet a Christ follower, but our relationship was growing. We would hang out and stuff. One night we were talking and we kind of reached that phase in the conversation when all the small talk had been talked out. You know, all the little chit-chat about work and sports and the yard we were done with. And it was sort of time to either stop talking or find something real to talk about. I assumed we were going to stop talking. I was actually kind of doing that thing where you shift in your seat and move your shoulders forward, waiting for the right pause in the conversation so you can stand up and head home. And just as I was about to do that, he said, I don't know, man. I'm 33. I got a wife, kids. We bought a house. Just got a promotion at work. I bought a new car. Like, you think there's 
Anything more to life after that? I confess in my selfish brain, in the back of my head, I was thinking, doggone it, I am going to be here all night. <laughs> and I was, as we just talked, because he was asking, well, he, he'd done all the right things, and he had all the right stuff, and still he was asking, how do I get the good life? And when this good, rich, young man asks Jesus, how do I get the good life? Jesus answers him, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, give yourself treasures in heaven, and then come follow me. And we, of course, are shocked by this answer. We're mainly shocked by this answer because we really, really hope this isn't what Jesus tells us to do. Like, right? Like, we're just super hoping that when we ask Jesus this question, he tells us anything other than that, right? And and we ought to be shocked by it. Uh, It is shocking. And, And the text goes on to make clear that there is something about wealth that makes it easier to trust in your stuff than to trust in God. There is something about wealth that, is an, that makes it hard to trust God, that is actually an obstacle to faith. Uh, and so we've got to learn about that. But that is not the main focus of Jesus' answer. The main focus of Jesus' answer is not the sell everything you have part. We know this because when Jesus meets other people who ask similar questions, he doesn't always tell them that. He doesn't tell Lazarus to sell all of his stuff. He apparently had a big house. He could have the whole gang over for dinner and parties and whatnot. He doesn't tell Barnabas to sell all of his stuff. Now, he sells a lot, but apparently not all because he has another field three chapters later he can sell. So Jesus doesn't tell everybody who wants to follow him, who asks about eternal life, who asks about the good life, to sell everything you own. So we can't make that our main focus here. We need to make our main focus where Jesus puts his, the thing he asks everybody, the part there at the end, and then come follow me. Because that's the thing Jesus says to everybody. We're in the Gospel of Mark throughout this series. Mark 1.16, Jesus walks beside the Sea of Galilee. He sees Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he'd gone a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them. They left their father Zebedee in a boat with the hired men and followed him. Mark chapter 2. Again, once again, Jesus is back at the lake. Large crowd came to him. He began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. Levi got up and followed him. It turns out, whenever Jesus wants someone to To begin a life with Jesus, the first thing he says is, follow me. And this young man, the young rich man who comes to Jesus and asks about the good life, Jesus wants to teach him something. It's the same thing he wants to teach everybody else who ever asks, and it's what Jesus wants you to learn today too. And that is this. The first thing 
you need to get the good life is a guide. That's what comes first. Everything else comes after. Not mountains or creeks or campfires or no cell phones. The first thing you need to pursue the good life is a guide. John 10.10 The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. I, that's, this is why Jesus came. Don't forget this. Don't lose sight of this. He came so that you could live. He has looked on you and loved you and wants you to live. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This is the one thing that makes Jesus different from every other moral teacher in the world. Other moral teachers say, follow my law or follow my philosophy. Jesus says, follow me and by my life I will make your life possible. The secret, Jesus says, to finding the good life is to follow the guide. And in our story, it's clear that the reason the first part of Jesus' answer matters, the sell everything you have part, the reason that part matters is because that's what's preventing him from doing the essential part, the come and follow Jesus. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, on his way to die. This guy can't hang around and manage his huge estate and count his money and follow Jesus all at the same time. And this, of course, might provide for you the most important spiritual question of your life, which is what do you trust to give you the good life? more than you trust Jesus? What is it that if Jesus says, I need you to let go of that and follow me, you would walk away sad instead? For this good, and don't forget how good this guy was, for this good, rich man, the thing he couldn't walk away from was his money because he trusted his money to give him the good life more than he trusted the guide. And you might have something just like that. Peter says, we left everything and followed you. And Jesus says, don't you worry. If you will let go of what promises you to do a good life in this life, to trust me, to guide you to the good life in the next life, then you'll get all back everything you let go of. I'll take care of all the rest of that. This, man, we get so confused on this. We get so sideways on this. This is the reason that sin matters so much to God. Maybe you've heard people talk about sin, you know, doing things that are against God's will, and you've wondered, why do Christians care so much about sin? Why does God care so much about sin? The reason sin matters to God is not because it's naughty and God's some sort of prude or, or because it's against the rules and God is some sort of, you know, you know, checklist making sure you kept all the rules. 
The reason sin matters to God is because it's robbing you of the life God wants for you. That God made you for a life and a purpose and sin is just anything that leads us away from that or distracts us from the guide who wants to lead us to love. That's why sin matters to God. Not because it's naughty, but because it robs you of the good life for which Christ longs to save you. And this is why, if, if you're following Christ as your guide, and you stumble into temptation, you wander down a path that does you no good, you trip and fall along the way, and then you turn back to the guide, you never need to worry that you've somehow cut yourself off from God's love, or that he can't forgive that sin. Of course not. Remember, he has looked on you and loves you and delights to lead you toward the good life for which you were saved. On the other hand, though, I do want to speak a word of warning because some of us are not stumbling into sin. Some of us have defiantly said, we're going to find the good life on our own. We have found a path, and this is the life we want. We have found some sort of shortcut to pleasure, some sort of roadway to riches, and whether the guide takes us in that direction or not, we're going to go that way. And this is a spiritually dangerous choice because the very first thing God's Word teaches us about the good life is that we need a guide to get there. The disciples met this guy who's doing all the right things and owns all the right things. And, and they say to one another, are you kidding me? If that guy can't get the good life, what chance do we have? And they go to Jesus and ask him, who can be saved if keeping all the rules isn't enough to get you saved? And if having all the money isn't enough to get you the good life, then who can be saved? And Jesus is super clear in his answer. No path we can build for ourselves leads to life. With man, it simply can't be done. But with God, everyone can be saved. Like it's just the clearest truth Jesus has to teach you. That's the reason Jesus is so insistent with everybody he meets, whether they're a fisherman or a tax collector or a Roman soldier or a Pharisee. Everybody he meets, come, follow me, because the good life is there for everyone, and it's the life he wants for you, a life that lasts forever and a life that is actually worth living that long. And Jesus just knows that the only way to get there is the path on which he would lead you. And there are so many other paths, and these paths may even offer pleasure in the moment. And some of them do. Some of these paths, even they offer leisure in the near future. They absolutely, this young man, you can, he was going to have a good life, wasn't he? He just wasn't going to have the good life. Because no path a person can make can lead to the life for which God made them. 
The only path that leads to life is the one on which Jesus guides you. Here's how Jesus puts it in the Gospel of Matthew. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. In the Gospel of John, he tells his disciples, never forget, I am the road. I'm the way, the truth. And the life. And nobody comes to follow you. You can't build another road, he's saying. You can't build some other path that gets you to the good life except the one that I lead you on. So the young man heard about that. And he went away sad because his wealth was great. And that's what he was really counting on to give him a good life. And so maybe the question that we can face as we start this series, in the weeks to come, we'll be looking at how Jesus leads us to a very different picture of the good life than the one on the postcards or the one we expected. But the first question we've got to face is just really much simpler than that. It's just... What are you trusting to get the good life for you? What are you pouring your hopes and dreams into? It might be your money. I think that's the reason Jesus talks about money. It is money for lots of people. It's not that this text isn't about money. It's just not only about money. It could be your family. It could be your career could be sexual fulfillment. It could be adventure or pleasure-seeking. And as precious as all those things are, they will not secure the good life for you. With us people and the paths we build, it's impossible. There's only one way to find the good life. To follow the guide. Along the way, I know you will trip and you will stumble. You will see other paths that look enticing, and you'll even take a few steps down them, won't you? You may even get lost. But do not fear, for the guide is good, and he has looked at you, and he has loved you, And he has life for you. And because he has seen you, and because he loves you, and because there is life prepared for you, he says, come, follow me, and I can lead you to eternal life. A life that lasts forever. And a life that every single day is worth living that long. Let's pray. Gracious God, we want that good life. But like the man in the story, we're so sure we can find it some other way. 
and to let go of these other earthly promises that do not fulfill and to just trust your promise that you are the way and you are the truth and you are the life and you will lead us there. It's so hard for us to do, God. We got some people today that are just holding on with two hands. They're trying to hold on to you as their guide and hold on to something else and and they just need to hear the word that they, they, they can't hold on to both. And that if they want the life you have for them, they're going to have to let you guide them. And that whatever we let go of for your sake, whatever, whatever promise of the good life we let go of for your sake, to just cling to you and trust you as our guide, that you will make up for it a hundredfold, God. We can count on you for that. Please, God, help us to trust that you and you alone long to lead us to that good life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.